This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk about language. No, not necessarily the words you use, but how you might be understood by someone else. You may have noticed some commercials for the new Google phones that offer real-time language translation, or maybe you've used Google Translate to switch the language on a communication like an email or a business letter. I've even seen some Facebook posts that were automatically translated into English. It's pretty cool, and it feels inclusive, but is it really? And what are some of the broader implications with this artificial intelligence technology? Denis Boudreau is the founder of Inclusive Communication and has some thoughts on this. Hey, good morning, Denis. Good morning. Good to see you again. Nice to hang out with you as well. So, Denis, let's start with a general question. What kind of experience have you had with automated translation? Uh, Well, as you may have picked up over the years, uh, I have a bit of an accent because I am French speaking. So English is a second language. So translation services have been something that is part of my life for as long as they've been around. Um, I started working uh, mostly like uh, almost inclusively in English uh, about 10, 11 years ago. Until at that point, my English wasn't all that great. So I relied on those services extensively at the beginning as I was just building my own vocabulary and everything. So I can, I can go back 10 years and tell you that the services that we had back then were nowhere near what they are today. So of course, as everybody knows, these services have definitely uh, improved over the over time. And, and they've actually reached a point where they're impressive, uh, to say the least. Yeah, along those lines, especially as we're looking at some of the the more modern products, do you find the translation is pretty good slash accurate? I, I think so. I, I mean, I mean, it's not perfect, of course, and I, I don't think that we're at a point where you know translate professional translators can can be very concerned about their job. Though, arguably, a couple of years down the road, you know, it's probably one of the jobs that will that will eventually disappear. It won't be needed anymore. But uh, but to this point, it is it is good enough that. It probably gets you like 85% of the way there, 80, 80, 85% of the, of the way there. Um, I, I would never, I use them, like I said, I use them weekly, if not almost daily, but I never just, you know, translate something through Google Translate or DeepL, for instance, and then just leave it as is. Like I'll always tweak it a little bit because it doesn't quite sound um, human, so to speak, but uh, but it's really close. So much like much like other aspects that we've discussed before like uh, you know automated captions in in uh, in videos and youtube for instance those things are get you quite a bit of the way there but not completely uh, all the way through uh, just yet but they're 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 pretty good at this point they're really good you mentioned the way that youtube is now offering up some automated captions for people who might be hard of hearing or deaf if we do apply an accessibility or disability lens to these automated translators what do you think the potential is well i'll caveat this whole answer by saying that again you know captions or translations if you only rely on the automated services these uh, artificial intelligence algorithms and you know all this automation 
you're not going to get a, or, or provide a service that is equivalent to one that would have been created by humans who are competent at that particular skill. So having said that, definitely the, uh, the, the potential is there for sure. And uh, when you look at it from the perspective of, of an accessibility lens, there's a lot of potential when it comes to translations, for instance. As an example, um, well, I'll, let's just start with my own experience. As I was growing my skill set with English, so I, um, I would rely on these, these uh, services when I didn't quite understand a sentence that somebody said. For instance, let's say I'm watching a video or I, I'm, I'm reading through a document and I want to make sure that I really understand what the, pe the person is talking about. I would use translations to do that and I would basically use my own ability to connect the dots to make it sure that I understand. So for someone who is not as skilled in that other language, but needs that content, there's there's this notion of access that definitely comes into play in, in being able to rely on a uh, reliable service that will translate the information in your own language in a way that is reliable. Um, when you look at it from the perspective of how these different technologies can sort of add up to one another, um, very quickly, it becomes interesting from an accessibility standpoint. Again, if you're thinking, let's say you're thinking about a like a live presentation, whether it's on is virtual or on site, if you have services around that can allow you to translate that content in your own language almost in real time, like maybe like with a almost like a bit of a second or so of a delay, then you can listen to what the people are, people are saying, but then have that translation happening in your own language almost instant uh, automatically. And and that also breaks down barriers for people for sure. So so there's a lot of potential. Not so much from that perspective of of accessibility, like for that particular disability. Though or though arguably, I mean, if you think about someone who has a uh, like a traumatic brain injury, for instance, or or anxiety, or ADHD, and struggles with either focusing or memorizing what's going on or someone with obsessive compulsive disorders, for instance, who might get caught up on a particular thing that was said and then has a hard time processing what comes after, having the information translated into your own language removes that barrier, um, the language barrier itself. So mm. all of those things contribute to a more inclusive experience ultimately for that person if that person doesn't is not a native speaker of, of, of that language. Denny, I'm always fascinated in the way that technology can seemingly evolve so quickly. I can think about just access to internet in my life that started in 1996 that required a big old computer to get you onto through a through a pretty shaky phone line at a pretty slow speed. And now we sit here 26 years later and just that that technology is now a supercomputer in my pocket, right? That I think about the way in which that happened so quickly that it blows me away. And I feel like we're really there with artificial intelligence, that it really entered the chat in, say, about 2014 or 2015 as being something that was mainstream. And here we sit today with people talking into their phones and having the phones speak out what they said in a different language to somebody else. Where do you think we're going with AI right now relative to where we've been the last 10 years? So Babel Tower comes to mind, I guess. Uh, so, so the whole idea of of being able to talk to someone—I mean, this this dream that we've seen in sci-fi for so long—I mean, for as long as I've been around, I mean, I guess—but this idea that language will no longer be a barrier and you could speak to anyone through a translator, like an automated translator—we're we're pretty much there today. Um, there's a lot of applications out there that do stuff like this that are getting better and better by the day. 
and um, and, and yeah, the potential is there to basically break down the barriers between between people uh, when it comes to language. So, where are we headed with that? I mean, the sky's the limit, I would say, because if you think of all the different ways in which the technology can be used for you know, bettering our experiences as human beings uh, interacting in society. I mean, barriers are coming down. That's basically what it comes down to. The, I, I'm thinking, like, for instance, so allow me to be a little po political here, um, as I've done a couple of times before. But, you know, in Quebec here, we have the, the this new law about, about uh, French being uh, mandatory and, and, and pretty much dominant over everything. And and it it creates a certain level of stress, of course, for English uh, English anglophones working living living in Quebec, because if the content is only going to be available to you in French, then that creates that barrier. But through technologies like this, we can at least hope that over time, the um, that barrier won't be as big of a deal, because you could always be serviced in French and then have the information translated to you, and then you could translate it back in English and then provide something that will be a lot better than it would have been if you only relied on your own skill set as a non-native speaker again in that particular case. Mm -hmm. So there is potential to to help with you know, social services and different things that people need uh, from a from a government standpoint, for instance. But on the web, um, you know, we we know already know it's it's a pretty obvious fact that you know, English is the is the driving uh, language on the web in general. There's a lot more data, content, information available in English than there is in pretty much any other language, and sometimes more in English than a lot of other languages combined. So again. The data, the information, is oftentimes in that available in that language only. So again, if you can rely more and more on these technologies, these services, to translate that into your own language, and that translation becomes more uh, reliable, then you have access to a lot more information than you did before. And all of that empowers people to more inclusively participate in you know, what society has to offer. And Denny, that leads me into the last question. I think you pretty much answered it slash alluded to it in there. But just to sort of work up as a summation thought here, you and I have talked quite a bit about how to make presentation more inclusive mm. a few times in the last few months. And I think about the way in which best practices when it comes to both the work that you do in making communication and technology more inclusive, or even the way people with disabilities may interact with society, there are a lot of best practices that can be communicated that sometimes maybe fall on, on other sides of walls or get siloed yeah. because, because what maybe works in the Netherlands can't be communicated quite efficiently to somebody in North America or what works in Thailand may not get communicated to someone in Australia. Do these kinds of technologies allow presenters to cast a wider net? I think they do, definitely. Probably not as much as they will eventually, but a couple of ideas come to mind. Uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take you back to this one experience that I've had probably around 2012 or so. Um, so I was I was presenting at a conference in Paris, and uh, it's a pretty big, maybe the biggest uh, web conference that they have in in the city um, still today. And uh, it's a big stage, and we have, uh, of course, we have sign language interpreters on the stage. So I'm doing my presentation, and I have this uh, this uh, interpreter signing what I'm saying as I'm saying it. Behind me on the screen is uh, well on the screen is uh, is automated, uh, not automated, but but uh, transcript. So there's there's a captionist that is translating, uh, not translating, sorry, that is ca 
capturing the information as I'm saying it on the screen. In the um, in the back of the, the the amphitheater is someone who's simultaneously translating what I'm saying as I'm saying it. And then there are people in the room who have a headset and they're hearing my presentation, which was in French, in English, so that they could listen to it in that own language. That's that whole conversation is happening between four or five different people, try, like like bouncing from one people to another, to ultimately get into that person's here in uh, probably less than a second or two in their own language. That was tw 10 years ago, basically. So now, like we, we've, we've, we've got a couple, a couple of people in the middle of that, of that uh, transaction now, if you, so to speak. Um, because if you think about, just think about PowerPoint, for instance. Right now, you can go to PowerPoint, turn on uh, subtitles, and then decide or, or define your own, the, the speaker's language. So let's say in this case, we would have PowerPoint open, speaker would be in English, and I could ask for the translations, the, 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 the captions to be in French. And PowerPoint would use, uh, would use Microsoft's AI to translate the information as it's being spoken. So in that old um, you know, dynamic again, you have an AI that is basically listening to what I'm saying, capturing the words, and then another one's working right behind it to translate not the words themselves, but the sentences or the blocks of words so that you don't lose context too much and you get a very decent, um, automatically captioned and translated um, version of the content happening almost in real time. Like there's a bit of a, like a split second maybe before the content actually shows on the screen. And we've tested that with English and French. One of my friends uh, is, uh, is, is Russian and she was speaking, and, and though I don't speak Russian one bit, I know nada maybe, um, <laughs> yet, that, that's about it. Um, I don't even, I, anyway, yeah. So, um, and, and she, she was saying that it was pretty accurate also. And it, it comes down to the same exact thing as always, right? I mean, AI is only as smart as the amount of data that it receives. So again, because English is so prevalent, there's so much information that's available the uh, the algorithms learn really quickly. The whole machine learning thing that we keep hearing about, that comes in and then you know the 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 data feeds it and it gets better and better. The more exposure to data that there is, the more reliable the services become. So in a language that is not as common on the web, uh, then then you know that will take longer before it becomes reliable. But for languages that are mostly spoken in North America, for instance, it's uh, it, whether it's French, Spanish, or or any of the the more common languages that we have, uh, you know, it gets really good really quickly. And and on top of that, in terms of best practices, you know, if you uh, so some of the most common best practices that we think that we can think about when it comes to uh, helping your audience really get the information and, and be able to consume it at their own pace, given their own set of abilities. Um, you know, we always talk about the importance of sharing your content beforehand so that they can prepare. Like we would do that for a sign language interpreter so that they can you know, get a sense of what we're gonna be talking about so that they can pre prepare a little bit. But going back to this example of someone with a, a traumatic brain injury, for instance, if it's hard to process information in real time because things are going a little too fast, if they've had a chance to get the documents beforehand, then they can better prepare for the event once it comes. And if that event happens to be in a different language again, they can use these translation services to be able to, to really understand in their own language what is about to be said, and then it makes the whole processing of the information on the, the, the day of that much easier. 
And same thing when it comes when 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 those documents are shared after the fact, because you know, that would be another best practice to you know be generous with your content and share it with those who've participated. Um, being able to rely on these services again to translate the information that you've received in your own language to double check and or maybe validate your own understanding through these automated services can only bring more clarity to what you've uh, what you took part of in, in that particular presentation. So those things are all going to help uh, tremendously. And again, it's it's about barriers coming down between different languages, different different cultures, through the use of these technologies. But today, it doesn't. It you know, it's not it's not the only. You, you can't rely only on that today. Is it would be a better way to say it. But you know, a couple of years down the road, it's going to be very 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 accurate. Denis, you may not be able to tutor us in Russian, but we're always a little bit smarter when we're done talking to you. Thank you for this. You're very welcome. Yeah, take care. Denis Boudreau is the founder of Inclusive Communication. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.